Yeah, we're going to look at some scripture this morning in Ephesians. I want us to kick off in Ephesians 1, verse 10. And uh, <clears throat> just in the worship there, oh my goodness, I, I, was, I was seriously messed up by the end of that worship time in a, in a, in a really good way. Um, and Andy started to say about hearing the angels, I thought, yeah, I'm, I'm there, I'm there. Um, there's that scripture in Hebrews that says that we haven't come to a mountain of fire and smoke, but to, basically to the angels and the spirits of just men made righteous. And this whole, <clears throat> what was once threatening in the old covenant is now welcoming in the new. And what was earthly is now heavenly. Actually, we've, we've been ushered into a heavenly reality. Um, oh, sorry, I've given you the wrong verse. <laughs> uh, I've written 110, but I actually mean, meant, I was just checking your word of knowledge capacity. Nice. You all knew it wasn't 110, didn't you? It's a good verse. Um, it's sort of, yeah, better luck next time. Um, verse 3 is where I was actually going to go. I'm confusing you, sorry. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And I just want to read from my current favorite translation, the Passion Translation. Uh, this verse, it says, everything, in heaven, everything heaven contains has already been lavished upon us as a love gift from our wonderful heavenly Father, the Father of our Lord Jesus all because he sees us wrapped up into Christ. This is why we celebrate him with all our hearts. I just thought that made it nice and clear. Everything heaven contains has already been lavished on us as a love gift from our heavenly dad. And uh, I think this one's right. Ephesians 3.10. I think we're on it this time. That's where the 10 came from last time. And the three was there. So we've got it more or less. <laughs> yeah. There we go. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly realms. Now, what, I, what, what we need to grasp better, what I need to grasp better is that limitlessness is available to me but I am limited but I can't remeasure what's available to me through what I am aware of in myself otherwise I will always shrink what's available let me try that again so it, it's actually almost impossible to completely imagine limitlessness of heaven. Yeah. Yeah. But what we just read is that all of it has already been made available. All of, us has, all of it has already been released to us because we're in Christ Jesus. Yeah. It, it's, 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 it just doesn't, the thought, you can say it, but the thought almost doesn't even fit in your head. However, we've been called to release the reality of heaven into the earth 
and reflect it back up into the heavenly realms. So the way the heavenly realms are going to see the manifold wisdom of God. So this limitless expression of the nature of God is going to be reflected into the heavenly realms. So this is, I believe, talks about angels as well as demonic rulers. So it's principalities and powers of every kind in an unseen realm, which the book of Ephesians talks about often and closes out by saying our, our struggle isn't against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers in heavenly realms. So we're not actually fighting people. We're fighting struggling against something that is unseen but is actually motivating and behind the scene all right so how how could there was a lot of study done after the second world war because there was a great puzzlement about how some a man like hitler could rise with such influence over a whole nation and it included the church which kind of swung in behind his political party and either nodded towards and agreed with or put a blind eye towards the atrocities that were taking place in that so believers and a nation were sucked into this 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 horrible thing and and, and theologians like what's going on it's well it's more than just the power of the individual. There's a power behind the individual. Governments are powered by something. They're governed by the powers, the unseen powers. Is, is this making sense? We're called to demonstrate to unseen realms the limitlessness that has been deposited in us. And is available through us. Because when Jesus died and rose from the dead, he completely rebased all of reality. Now, for some of us, we've lived that Christian life like, well, well, here I am, I'm on the earth. My name is Andy Merrick. I've now become a Christian, so I go to church and I've learned lots of things about being a Christian so I now can make godly decisions and try and think more spiritual and be more godly but actually my feet are still firmly anchored to the earth and and, and it's almost almost like I've lived it by accumulating spiritual information into an identity I already had Is, is this making sense so I kind of knew me I knew I was rubbish at sport half decent at physics and a modicum of ability with music and then then I got Jesus and I loved him and I love him and 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 I got spiritual information and 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 I I could I I memorized seven bible verses a week and so I was doing what I could to be a pumped up believer but I never understood that actually my complete reality had shifted when I said yes to Jesus. When Jesus rose again, when Jesus died and rose again, he shifted reality for the cosmos. The resurrection was the beginning of a transformation for every individual, the whole planet, all of creation, all the, all the unseen powers behind creation, everything that is in existence, there was a shift on the day that Jesus rose from the dead and was resurrected. For every living, breathing, and not breathing, every element, 
life changed or, and the change began then. That's why it says things like weird stuff in the Bible in Romans 8, like all of creation is groaning like in childbirth, waiting for the revelation of the sons of God. Creation is waiting for you. The heavens are waiting for you and I to display the, the infinite manifold wisdom of God. We somehow have become incredibly important. Now, many people have put that verse I just quoted completely into the end. So when Jesus comes back and renews all things, then we're revealed and creation is changed. I think that's true, but I don't think that's the whole truth. I think what's happening is the more the sons of God, which includes the daughters, are revealed on the planet, it starts to affect the power structures. It starts to affect creation now. So the, the, you, there's recorded revivals in different parts of the world where re, the revival has come and the soil has changed. Yay. So there was a, there was, it was a video that went around in the 90s in Colombia. There was a revival in a town called Almalonga and it was a poor place. All the men were drunk. It was very impoverished. The ground, the soil was poor. The crops were poor. And then revival swept in and hundreds and hundreds of people got converted and the ground started to grow giant carrots. <laughs> Why? Because sons of God were being revealed, creation was being released from its bondage and suddenly instead of Ouija carrots in poor soil, there were the, the carrots and onions were massive, which they then sold and the whole town prospered. Because there's been revival. So there's been this outbreak, this revelation of the sons of God. The soil starts to change and you're like, ooh, creation is be being released. People around you are going to be released as you realign to your new reality, which is who you are in Jesus, where we have this access to limitlessness, just like Susanna was saying, you know, there's this friend and she feels a little bit nervous and, 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 you know, it's not the one I wanted to pray for. And probably I've been in those situations and you're like, you don't feel like you have any miracles on you. <laughs> you know, if you, you were like, oh, no, I've not got one of this. No, just, no, just, just, no, I've got no tingles. I've got no, I've got no, I've got no, oh, I can't see any angels. All the things you really want in that moment are not there. It's just you. But it isn't true. You just, just pray for someone's busted up ankle and just you happens to be plugged into all of heaven's reality, all of heaven's resources. Kaboom! If you measure what you can do by what you feel and who you, are, you think you are, we're going to miss this by a mile's. The glory that is going to be seen in the heavenlies by the church is that all these limited people start to release limitlessness on the planet. That's surprising. I mean, at one level this doesn't make sense, and at another level this is the most exciting news ever. But it's just, but we have to recalibrate to go, uh, 
I am not the sum of the parts that I can see and feel. This, this apparent reality does not sum up the reality of my expectations, my future, my destiny, my life, my, even my identity is not defined by this. When Jesus rose from the dead and got seated in heavenly places, and I, when I put my faith in him, I got shifted to heavenly places with him. I got given all of heaven's resources for free. Limitlessness. I'm plugged into limitlessness, even when I don't feel any of it. Because some, that's something of the glory of it. If we all felt awesome all the time and, well, I'm just so limitless, I'm so limitless, that, that would kind of not take any faith, exactly. But actually, you know, there's that sore ankle and you're feeling a bit scared and then you just go... 20 seconds is a long time to pray in that situation. I've done like five. But five is enough to get all of that into there. He doesn't need a long time. Sometimes we can pray ourselves out of faith. You know, oh, Jesus, please, please, you know. Please, please, just be healed. We don't need to beg for what we already have. And that's changing. When you get this, when you get this in your heart, you just start to pray different. You're more into releasing and declaring than begging and pleading. Now there is a place for appealing to God for stuff. Don't don't misunderstand what I'm saying, but but it's from a new perspective. Um, if He's already given us all these resources, suddenly our faith orientation changes. <clears throat> We, we, are, we are limited people with unlimited access to limitlessness. <laughs> That's a good sentence. <laughs> I just thought of that. I'm going to say it again. We are limited people with unlimited access to limitlessness. Can we say it together? Because I think it's worth remembering. We are limited people with unlimited access to limitlessness. And why don't you turn to someone and look at them and tell them you're a limited person with unlimited access to limitlessness. You're a limited person with unlimited... (laughs) So, So Jesus... When he spoke about the church, when Jesus spoke about the church, he, he didn't say many things about the church, but the things he did say were pretty important. So in Matthew 16, verse 18, you can go there, and I'm sure that's right. But down. <laughs> Isn't this a fun thing? Where would you build your church? For some people in this room, it would be Neilston, yes. <laughs> a nice village on the outskirts of Glasgow. A commuter belt village with good schooling. 
pleasant climate. Well, <laughs> low crime levels. Some people keep telling God, please don't call me to Hawaii. Because he wants, they think that by asking the opposite, he's going to give them a call to Hawaii. I really don't want to go, so he's going to tell them to go. That's where they want to build it. Jesus wants to build his church right next to the gates of hell. I'm like... And he, he's not afraid that positioning it there means it's going to be overcome. Because he believes about the church what I just described. So he's not scared like, well, man, if I put the church near all that stuff, it's going to go terribly wrong. He's like, they're limited people with unlimited access to limitlessness. How can this go wrong? <laughs> see, see, he doesn't think like we do because he sees from a perspective that we're growing in all right that that's the perspective he's introducing us to but at times we just fall back into isn't that cool so the gates of hades or the gates of hell it's a it's a language for the, the the spiritual demonic authority the government of of the dark stuff so, so if you like, hell's government is not going to overcome the church. And the implication is that it's the other way around. So it's, it, it's the theme, these principalities and powers. In fact, I, I read a lovely comment in a, trans, in, a, in a commentary. The church is the university for angels. And I would add, the church is the university for angels and demons. The church is where spirit powers learn about God and his wisdom. (laughs) Because we are on display as limited people with unlimited access to limitlessness. That is the wisdom of God. It's not how I would do it. If I was him and I had unlimited power, I would just blow the devil out of the sky. I mean, all God, it's not like an equal fight. This All God's got to do is, I don't know, flicker his eyelid and the, all evil is over. But actually he said, no, I'm going to use limited people with unlimited access to limitlessness to do this. And all of creation is waiting for that to be revealed. And all of heaven is looking to be instructed about the, nation, the nature of the Father and his wisdom through us. <laughs> so we need to kind of hurry along and learn who we are and start accessing these realities more and more. Uh, and it is happening. It's exciting. It's happening. People getting healed. That's... Limitlessness. All sorts of incredible things. I was just talking to someone. We were sort of staggering out of the prayer meeting. And I said, are you okay? You look tired. No, I'm not tired. I've just been taken up into a vision of heaven and started to describe. I'm like, great, more. That's experiencing the limitless. So we can connect to it. We can see it. We can feel it and taste it. And we can release it to the rest of the planet. To people who want it and people who don't. Have you noticed that? 
Bible says that God makes the sun and the rain to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous alike so that there can be food for everybody. So whether they're interested in him or not, he still does stuff. He still releases goodness to people. Oh, this city's not very open. Well, who cares? God's, it's not up to the city. Remember, gates of hell do not overcome it. So you could think that the gates are 40 feet high and 90 feet thick and with lots of scary paintings on them and it doesn't really matter. Because there's one who's already higher and greater and I think we should go back to Ephesians 1.10. We actually do need to go there. I knew we would at some point. Yeah, you were, you were actually on it. Bring all things together in heaven and earth under one head, even Christ. Can do the next verse. <laughs> wow. We need to go back to nine. See, all authority has been given to Jesus. My prayer for you is that every moment you'll experience the measureless power of God made available to you through faith. Then your lives will be an advertisement of this immense power as it works through you. This is the resurrection power that was released through Christ Jesus when God raised him from the dead and res- this resurrection power raised us up and seated us with him at his, pl- at his place of supreme authority in the heavenly realms. And now he is exalted higher than all the thrones and principalities above every ruler and authority and above every realm of power there is. That's where we are. Angels serve us and demons submit to us. And the Father listens to us. (laughs) He's gloriously enthroned over every name that is ever praised, not only in this age, but in the age that is coming. That's verse 21. So we are positioned for breakthrough, victory, supply. And the church is a load of individuals, but they're connected. And what I, what I, want, I want to sort of pull this together a bit because I really feel we just need to capture God's heart for church as well as just our individual identity because it is the church as well as the individual that has access to limitlessness. Yeah. And it's the church that's displaying this manifold wisdom to heavenly realms. And I think one of the reasons, or, or it doesn't explain in the text how the church is doing that, all right? But there is this wisdom of God. And last week we looked at this idea that the, the, one of the prophets talks about oh, all these horns, these sort of aggressive, violent, 
evil things were coming against the people of God. And God's answer was to raise up craftsmen. So God's answer to aggression and, and, and a rampant secularism isn't a campaign of aggressive spiritual warfare. It's to raise up wisdom. It's like, oh, we feel attacked, we feel attacked. Our instinct is to attack back. God's, God's, God's way is to release wisdom. Because, because he's not threatened, he's already won the fight. He just wants to make everybody else aware that all their threats and all their stirrings and all their imaginations are actually futile. Is this making sense? So if you know you've already won and there is no battle to, bat to fight, why create an army to fight a battle? Because you're then expressing a faith in something you actually don't believe, which starts to make it real. And the church has done that over and over. We've reacted to the enemy. We've let the enemy set our agenda. So, oh no, it's scary, that's now happening. Oh, it's scary, we should campaign against this, we should campaign against that. And the whole agenda then starts to get dictated by what's happening outside the church, not what God's doing from heaven through the church. And we feel fearful and we feel we should be proactive, but what we mean is we're declaring war back on that spiritual powers that are declaring war on us. And why do we need to do that? We already won the war. Jesus did it. We just sang about it. The ground began to shake. Yeah. We sing hallelujah, the Lamb has overcome. That is true. Amen. We don't have to worry about what's happening at us because we already won. It's not like we're going to win. It's done. Yeah. Just people don't know it yet. Yeah. So we need wisdom to display honor and love and grace and all that is in heaven and all that is in the heart of God to all the people that are trying to say that what God is about is wrong. I mean, it says in the Bible that his enemies rage against him. God sits in in heaven and laughs. Yeah. I, I don't know whether... It doesn't tell you whether that's derision or jo just joy. or I, Maybe it thinks it's a big joke. Yeah. 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 But can you... Can you hear what I'm saying? That actually, when we get in our kind of aggressive fight mode, we've actually just started to believe something that isn't true. Yes. <clears throat> so, who we are. Together is as important, if not more important, than who we are individually. So many things have happened in our, our society, which is the attempt of the enemy to release a culture and a thinking and a so-called wisdom that dismantles key values and ways of operating that are heavenly and that God deposited in, in our nation. You know, our, our nation has still got some great things in it yes. that work that came from heaven that invaded the culture of this nation. Example, we just talked about Hitler. This nation with its allies, but also in those days we had an empire. 
We basically bankrupted our empire to stand against evil. Right? There may be many things that were wrong with empire, but there was some... What a heart of a nation to lay its life down, to spend all its resources, to put everything just because this is evil and it needs to be stood against. That's in the DNA of Great Britain. This nation never did what a number of other European nations did when revival broke out. It never stood against revival corporately. So if you go to the Netherlands, I've told you about this, they've just had a day of repentance and fresh declaration because in 1730s, 1740s, the government and the synod of the church stood against the outpouring of the Spirit, the manifestations of the Spirit that were happening in that nation, and they've had almost no revivals ever since. So they, people in those countries look with envy on the UK because Scotland is a land of revivals, Wales is a land of revivals, England is a land of The UK has revivals. I mean, we, like, we want more, but compared to their spiritual history, we are rich. Thank God that for all the craziness of our own history, people never stood up and quenched stuff in that way. The same happened in Germany in the early 1900s. They stood against the Pentecostal outpouring of 1903 to 1906 and the whole thing got shut down. And many people blame the First and Second World Wars on the fact that Germany actually resisted a spiritual awakening in the early part of the 20th century. See, spiritual things are what really rule the world. But in all these nations now, Christians and senior spiritual leaders are getting together and repenting of these things, and God is breaking out in Europe. But isn't it good that that stuff's in us? But, but I just want to address a few things that kind of get chipped away at. All right? So the, the, the truth is we've won. The truth is we're limited, but we have unlimited access to limitlessness. What's happening is, or or the devil's attempt is to attack our thinking in our culture as a nation, as a church, to stop us living in the good of what God has already done. And to make us think we've got to work harder for it, or be better for it, or like it's never going to happen. It's basically attack on the mind through culture and media and popular thinking, all right? So first thing I want to talk about in the, in the time we've got left, just want to kind of practicalize it, but is, is the word church. The Bible word church is the Greek word ecclesia. And <clears throat> over time, church in our language has got associated with all kinds of things like buildings and and and. Uh, Sometimes it's even got associated with this kind of spiritual paraphernalia that goes with that and with, the, with clergy and with all of that. And, and, and obviously churches need building and churches need leaders. And, and, but actually church doesn't mean those things. And then I've heard chat like from loads of people. Well, we're all the church because of this idea of the universal church. Well, that, at one level that's true. But that's not what Ecclesia means. All right? And so there's all these kind of ministries and people doing things on their own and said, well, I'm church. Well, that isn't actually true. 
You are connected to Christ, so you're part of the body of Christ. That is true. Church, you are not. Because Ecclesia, and, and, and some wise people who started things like the Assemblies of God and the Brethren Church saw this, so they call Brethren Churches Brethren Assemblies. And it's the Assemblies of God, which is a Pentecostal denomination. And the reason they did that is because they're trying to communicate, get away from this word church and say, well, actually, church means an assembly of people. And it's used in the Bible in Acts 19 twice, about an, basically once about a huge crowd that assembled, and secondly about, well, this issue should be brought to the assembly. So in Greek, Roman culture, they had assemblies of citizens to debate issues that were affecting the city. And so the, the New Testament writers grab this word and say, we're, we're the assembly, but we're the assembly of God. We're the gathering, we're the gathered together believers, we're the community gathered of heaven on earth. Is this, is this making sense? So if you're not gathering, it's not church. Well, no, it's not. So over and over again, just to take a book of the Bible, 1 Corinthians. If you go through 1 Corinthians and look at the word church, pretty much every time it's used, it's, it's addressed to a group of believers who gather. So the, the title of the book to the church that gathers in Corinth is to a specific church in a specific city. So it's an identifiable group of believers who know one another, who are connected to one another, who someone can write a letter to and it will be read to this. And through the book it goes on, and God has given in the church, in the assembly, these gifts. And he says, when you assemble together, when the church gathers, I have this against you, because when you break, when you take the Lord's Supper, you do it in a way that is dishonorable and people are going hungry. And so he's addressing them just like they're gathering, because they are, because that's what church is. I'm just saying, it's a gathering. To do church, you've got to gather. And as we said last week, things happen in the gathering that don't happen on your owning. And God's made it that way. There's a dynamic that happens in the gathering that doesn't happen on your own. On your own is dangerous. Because we're all in this process of being renewed, of being changed... And we need the truth that lives in the gifts that God releases to his church to build us up. And that isn't going to happen in a group of one or a group of ten even. We need gathering. We need to build momentum and we need to be exposed to the more. If we're going to display the wisdom of God to heavenly realms, part of that is how we learn to get along. On my own, I never, ever fall out with me. Isn't that good? That means I have a certain amount of mental health. I agree with me most of the time. I mean, I will debate things in my head, but fundamentally, I, I know I'm right. And my perspective on life is, 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 
you know, I'm fairly humble, so I know it's not perfect, but it's very close. <laughs> Hands up anybody who feels like that about them. I mean, then you stick me in a room with all you crazy bunch. I'm like, oh, it'd be a lot easier to do this on my own. Oh, no, it wouldn't. I need you. I don't have, I don't have what you have. The design of God of the body, and this applies to the body of Christ, is that you're designed with lack on purpose. And I'm designed with lack on purpose, but my lack's not the same as your lack. I got what you need, and you got what I need. But then we have to learn to get along. So some of the wisdom of God... and, and. how are we doing for time? We're going to run out of time. In Ephesians 4, it talks about the church again. It talks about how God's put in the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. So these are all different kinds of giftings. And it goes on to say, so that the body of Christ could be built up and come to maturity and unity. Isn't it? See, this is, this is one of those kingdom of heaven things that actually in the church, variety is meant to produce unity. Natural wisdom says the way you get unity is all have one thing, one way of looking at it, one way of doing it. We all agree with that and we, be, we, have, we have unity. God's way of creating unity is saying you need apostles, you need prophets, you need evangelists, you need pastors, you need teachers. They all carry incredibly different perspectives. But when you get that gift released amongst you, it's going to produce unity and maturity. So God's route to unity is through diversity, not conformity. Hello? God's plan, his great manifold wisdom, is to put lots and lots of different people, different gifts in one place and say, you can happen together and be happy and have harmony because you love well. Because you know how to honor and value difference. Not by going, right, well, we are the, we are the all-seeing eye prophetic group. You can, only see, you can only join our all-seeing eye prophetic group if every morning you wake up in a heavenly vision. We are the... I, I met a bunch like this once. It's long enough ago to not offend anybody. They were, they were the crazy crazy evangelist group I mean they were like the SAS of evangelism (laughs) they were like literally we 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 were trying to do unity in the city Newcastle where we were and we had we got all the churches together in the room and we had everything from this kind of SAS group of about 30 people in this church to the the mother's knitting circle from the the sweet Anglican church down the road. And we had a joint prayer meeting. Now, these guys are literally foaming at the mouth when they pray. (laughs) These dear ladies are are sweet and quiet and meditative. And their loudest prayer is a whisper. And this is all happening in one room. (laughs) To join these guys, to to be in this group, you, you had to be like... 
you had to have been in the Marines. The leader had been in the Marines. And if you didn't have that kind of, you know, he regularly went to the Philippines and, and sat on a rubbish dump and witnessed to, to kids for Christ. I mean, what a heroic faith. But you needed to have, the, if you weren't like that, you couldn't be in the group. There were all this raving, stare you in the face evangelists. And they thought the whole room was soft and horrible and they wouldn't meet with us again because they weren't frothing at the mouth. And the old ladies knitting group were like, well, we can't come, they scare us. It needed a massive release of love and honor in the room. See, the church was never meant to be like that. We need the crazy stare you in the eye evangelists, but they're not meant to be on their own because they go weird. Honestly, those people were weird. But their passion, their fire, my goodness, it was awesome. We need it in the church. And we need the ladies knitting circle who can pray in a whisper and then call down to heaven in a breath. Yeah. Well, we're the meditative group. You only join us if you fall asleep in your prayer time. <laughs> Don't have any of these crazy people waking us up. We, we like silent worship. Interrupted by the occasional snore. <laughs> I've met people like that. Not, not, your church is too noisy. Well, bring your earplugs. <laughs> but can you hear? This is the wisdom of God. Is it can be multi-generational, multi-gifted, multifaceted. That's what the word means. The multifaceted wisdom of God. Like a, all the sides of a diamond. Every, every... Every nation can be represented. I'm so glad we have different ethnicities being represented in Hope Church. And I believe that's the seed of things to come. Because different ethnicities bring other cultures into the culture. And what we mustn't do is make our culture just Scottish Glasgow culture. Because that's not the kingdom of heaven either. I can't and won't try and imitate us. A, a proper Glasgow accent. I've lived here a long time and I, I just know I will offend too many people if I try. And I'd like to keep all of my teeth. The, the church is... The, and I can't do it well. I can sort of just about get a CU Jimmy out and that's about it. The, the church is the kingdom, is the culture of the kingdom. Not... Yeah, so it has to be inclusive of all cultures. And it doesn't mean that we abandon cultural significance or cultural identity, but that isn't our primary identity. Our primary identity is who we are in him. This is making sense. Okay, final, final point. The wisdom, of, the wisdom of God is in the church. Limited people accessing limitlessness. Limited, unlimited access to limitlessness. Different people creating unity. And, and, and the final thing that's on my heart is the wisdom of God is in legacy. The wisdom of God is in legacy. Legacy is built into the Trinity. Father, Son. We have to figure out how to do Father, Son. We have to 
figure out how to do generational passing on. Not, this is my time to shout and be at the front, and then when I'm gone, it's gone. There has to be the ability of one generation to connect to another, to connect to another. You know, if Jesus doesn't come back, we need to be thinking a vision that could lapse over two, three hundred years. Yeah. Not this short term, it's just got to happen with me. But that requires the ability to pass it on, which requires the desire of the generation coming through to pick up, up and the desire that the older generation to let go. And there needs to be a meeting in the middle. So there has to be a valuing. There has to be enough. If you're younger in this house, there has to be enough valuing in your heart of what the fathers and mothers carry. Otherwise, it's very difficult for them to release to you what they are carrying God. You have to value it and not just go, well, they're just old and we won't do it that way. You're just going to completely miss the point. Old can mean they've got wisdom that you need. And the older ones can't go, well, they're just young and they'll learn and, you know, pat them on the head and they're there. No, they have to give them their head. And yeah. it has to be a growing of honor in both directions. Then you can pass one generation to another. It's really good to celebrate the moms and dads in this house. Yeah. Really good. And I don't just mean cheer them. I mean, in your heart, you value them enough to let them influence your life. That's what really honor is. It's not just the cheering, although I love the celebration. But actually, when we honor one another, we put enough value on the other person that actually they are changing our lives. I'm going to say that again because that's saying honor isn't just about clapping and cheering, it's about letting other people influence you. You only value them, the measure of your value is how much you're allowing them to influence your life. Later in Ephesians, it says, submit to one another. Submit to one another. That's how we do this wisdom thing. 